I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're going. I have an incredibly exciting announcement to make. I am taking this very podcast, Conversations of Inspiration, on the road, with six live recordings taking place across the UK. Each episode will take place in a very special venue with a highly inspirational guest, including a speech from me and a chance to ask questions too. The evening will include wonderful entertainment, magical Holly & Co details, a fantastic opportunity to shop small business, drink a delicious tipple or two, mingle with like-minded people, make new friends, and I will ensure you will be thoroughly and utterly inspired. I believe that one conversation has the ability to change the course of your life forever, and I want it to be mine. So don't delay. Get your ticket to Conversations of Inspiration, the podcast live in partnership with NatWest. We'll only be recording six live episodes this year, so make sure you don't miss out. Head to holly.co to get your ticket today. This week on Conversations of Inspiration, I'm chatting to calligrapher and illustrator Alice Gab. Originally a self-taught calligrapher, Alice started her small business selling hand-printed fine stationery at Broadway Market, where she was voted London's coolest stallholder, and soon went on to catch the eye of many big brand names who requested commissions. One of the first to specialise in modern calligraphy in the UK, Alice's expertise has grown and so has her desire to pass on her skills and knowledge to others. So she now teaches workshops all over London and Europe, delivering in-store experiences for brands such as Ted Baker and Bowden. Her recent trip to America discovered a passion for activism and social change, creating beautiful flags to spread hopeful messages, now shining through all of her work. I had the most inspiring chat with Alice at my home, where she told me about her journey so far. We spoke about the empowerment of knowing your finances and the need for communities in this modern digital age. And make sure you listen to the end. Alice's letter to self was so special and something I know I'll be playing to all the young teenage girls in my life. It's so lovely to have you here with me today. I remember being introduced to your incredible work through Jenna in our team at Holly & Co. She showed me your velvet flags and I might have gone on a little shopping spree, buying both for my home, I think within literally 10 minutes of her showing me. And there they were hanging at the Congregation of Inspiration 2018. And I had so much incredible feedback. And since then, we've worked together a few times. You've designed the artwork for our shop independent banners. You created our incredible gift coins. And you recently hand calligraphed Calligraphy. It's a word. It is a word. Yeah, it's just I'm, I'm, okay. a word. Now talking to a calligrapher, <laughs> I need to get this right, isn't it? Um, you did this beautiful signage on our Delhi wall, and it is just incredible. Everyone also talks about that every single day. So I feel like you're so part of my life, and that's why I had to have you on this podcast. Oh, so that's so nice. <laughs> welcome, Alice. Welcome, welcome. So you're the queen of modern calligraphy. You really were one of the first to bring back the art in this sort of modern way. What led you to finding this passion? Did it start when you were little? I've always, always been like a quiet drawer, always. But lettering specifically came when I was at when I was at university or sixth form, I would say, from sixth form. I've just loved 
saying something at the same time all of my art projects always always use type alongside my drawings so when I was at uni it was like 2008 2009 hand-drawn typography was such a thing that kind of hand-drawn circus type that was like the thing Um, and I just loved it I was um, much to my detriment always just drawing by hand I was so reluctant it was the kind of shift then from uh, being everything hand-rendered to being digital and I just refused I just wanted to do everything by hand which was a problem when I left but that's where it started definitely and I've always always even when I did eventually catch up with the digital side I still don't want it to be perfect I still want it to look like it's done by hand and it's that kind of charm and joy this kind of going against the very traditional and formal I just want to bring into all of all of my work really I just want the human to it the human touch yeah so were you creative as a child yes uh I was that quiet quiet one that was I watched a lot of Disney as I think all 90s children (laughs) can relate to and I just wanted I, I just my parents were very generous they were just like we don't mind what you do just do what you love and I grew up to realize that that's not what everybody had and so I just went for it I always went to every art club I could drew all the time and so through your education did you did you struggle with mainstream education or was that actually that was fine and art was your hobby or was it Um, something that was taking over as you were trying to study for, you know, physics. I was so lucky. I did actually, I was determined that I was going to be an engineer and I did physics and art and tech because I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be a female engineer. And I kind of was 10 out of 10 for enthusiasm in class, but really (laughs) I didn't actually apply myself all the time. I'm not competitive at all. And I'm very kind of chilled out day to day. And so my my physics teachers, I remember them sitting down when I was at sixth form and just sitting my parents down and saying, look, she's lovely. We love having her in the class, but she's not going to pass this exam. <laughs> and amazingly, they just kind of said, that's fine. She she's going to go to art school is that okay and the teacher said yeah that's absolutely fine and I was just left to be and create I'm so lucky very very lucky and what was it like leaving uni was it scary or did you know you were on the path to founding your business was that something that's a really good question actually because I think it's such a difficult subject that that bit when you leave uni and when I think back to lots of the other people in my course, I think there are about 70 of us doing graphic design and illustration. And the graphic designers, they went off and did a placement, mm-hmm. um, a few placements. We were lucky. We had friends that lived in London and we could kind of travel because you didn't get paid back then for placements. So eventually they just got a job in a graphic design studio. I knew that was never going to be for me. I was always on the side of illustration and that kind of famously has no kind of direct route no, into a career. I never thought of that. Yeah, and I'd never thought of that. But <laughs> I have to say, I just always knew that by going and doing work experience that I'd find eventually answers. And when I was in my third year at uni, every single holiday, I was with a maker that I loved. I was in London in studios, seeing how these women, they they happened to be women, were running their businesses and how that worked and just kind of storing. Some of them were glorious and terrible business people like me and others were like really savvy. It, it's more common, unfortunately, that we're all terrible business people, I think, creatives. I, Not all, yeah, I, I get where you come from on that. But obviously with my background, I obviously see so many creative people yeah. feeling like... Yeah, exactly that. That, you know, of course, if I'm that creative, I can't be a good business person. But I'm just wondering whether we ever learnt it. Yes, exactly. Quite frankly, I just don't think it's, it's, it's almost yet to come, if you see what I mean. I just feel like we've just got to learn it a bit. I'm actually, when you look back, I'm kind of horrified at how unis, I loved my uni, I had such great tutors, but how can they just kind of spit people out, especially illustration? I'm like... How are you supposed to then earn a living? I just kind of took these little steps 
that I thought would lead to somewhere and eventually I got taken on one day a week by various different maker studios and so I slowly kind of kept going I got a stall at Broadway Market that I applied for the minute I finished university but again it's because I'd seen an artist that I loved, Jessie Chorley. I'd seen that she had a stool there. And I thought, well, if I can get that, maybe that'll lead somewhere Something else. It was just else. all these little little things. Little things that connected you. Were there many calligraphers around at the time when you started out? And have you found that there's a trend now for learning it more than there was? Massively. So when I started, there were amazing artists already in the UK, like Lamplighter London, Kiara... Imi Owen, who's my personal absolute favourite, they were doing it, I couldn't give you exact dates, but they were doing it before me. But we were definitely, in the UK, some of the first, as Judy Broad as well, I think. There's loads and loads of traditional calligraphers in the UK. We have a really rich, long history of it. But the modern calligraphy, that's like really from America and the wedding scene and the rise of Instagram, that's what's put it into our eyes, basically. It's just yeah. there all the time. And it's not copper plates the traditional calligraphy that we're seeing it's this like imperfect style that's become massive and the kind of desire to learn it I think there's two things happening there's that calligraphy looks lovely and we all want to know how to do that and there's that we now want to learn things workshops are a huge industry now Mm. um I train with Airbnb sometimes because I run some workshops with them and they always say people want to to tell their friends what they did, not what they got. And I think that that's a huge shift in our society as well, which I'm all for because we all need to be around other people and doing experiences together rather yeah. than... Gosh, that's really interesting. Really. So people want to say what they did, not what they got. Yeah. And if you think about 10 years ago or, you know, 20 years ago... That is not what you would say. So it's actually heartwarming to hear that. There's definitely just generally, isn't there, a shift towards this sort of tangible again. Absolutely. I think something that we try and champion and we should be championing is sending letters. You know, it's such a wonderful, thoughtful, simple, cheap way of being thoughtful and creative. And our postal system is absolutely so brilliant. And we just don't use it enough. It's so true. We need to reconnect with each other. And I mean, I actually don't know the last time I received a hand a letter you know I don't you know I'm sure you've heard through what you do it's phenomenally great for your mental health oh yeah 100% and so do you find that people take the classes just to be able to write maybe a beautiful letter or are they sort of actually looking to get into calligraphy as a a part so, career? I, when I started, I was just, you know, struggling artist. I thought, right, I'm going to start this class because if people want to learn for their business or, you know, they have a wedding invite that they want to do themselves, I kind of thought DIY people, people that would use it in the long run to save money. Because that's the only reason that I could possibly think of in my mind <laughs> that you would spend £60 on a ticket. Actually, when I ran the classes, I realised there were only one or two people out of a class of 10 that were learning for that reason. Everyone else was there because they don't get to be creative in their day-to-day jobs. They don't get have any outlet at all. And they just wanted to try something new. You know, we're not. I'm not teaching in school settings educational settings they're in like beautiful cafes and um, I teach in like a 300 year old townhouse it's the whole experience Mm -hmm. um always with tea and cake so actually people just want to try something new and I think the mindful aspect to learning calligraphy is a much later realization it's only the last year that I've really realized that people write to me and say what a positive effect it's had that they were going through tough times and it's time that they allocate to themselves that just nothing else it takes a, a very specific level of focus to do modern calligraphy 
and it means that you can't worry about anything else and I think and you know at this time everyone needs a bit of that I think also what I love about the skill and the craft of the artisan trades specifically calligraphy is that it's something that you get better with over time you can't just pick up a pen and paper and and you're just going to become an expert overnight and we expect that now don't we we expect things to be immediate but basically when you look at the arts you know let's say Japanese calligraphy it takes decades to be considered a master and I remember going to see I'm going to pronounce it Hokusai I think it is the exhibition at the British Museum and being so inspired by the fact that his most famous piece of work he created was in his 80s and he believed that the older he got the greater his art would become and I just find that so inspiring that we should strive to be at our peak later on at life rather than I think what we're taught or what we expect of ourselves is to be at our prime in our 20s and our 30s but actually if you realize that you're going to be a master at 80 you sort of can judge well I've got a long road ahead of me I'm always going to be learning whereas I I think we come out of that mindset that we are continuously learning and it's just a really lovely thing to think about maybe again mindfulness you know not having that fear of God that you have got to be right there you know at the top of your trade also for me it's a business model which is if you're at your top of your trade in your 20s and 30s what happens in your 40s 50s and 60s yeah have you found time improves what you do year on year definitely oh my god and just just in general confidence. I always, it's funny that you say that because at the beginning of every class, I always say, you know, disclaimer, we expect everything to be perfect immediately and you're never going to succeed at this or enjoy it if that's going to be your mindset. You just have to settle and have patience. And nowadays that's like very hard to get into that space. So, and I, I don't know why, but I've always been like that chap. I just think... I've never been in a rush. I guess I'm just lucky in that way, especially when I started learning calligraphy. It does only get better as you get older. I miss some of the quirks of my early work. I'll never get back. I'm sad about that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it, it kind of only... I've only got kind of more knowledge to give people. And have you felt the same in your business, running your business? Have you felt that year on year you improve as a businesswoman? Yes, definitely. I stumbled through after uni. I had a part-time job and I worked in these studios one day a week and I had my market stall on a Saturday. As long as I had money in my pocket and my rent was paid, I kind of just kept going. But it was not a business model. I just was so happy to be part of the creative industry and work in these studios on Thursdays I'd work for Jessie Chorley on Columbia Road and it's an old cobbled street and she'd sit me outside sometimes in the sunshine with an old Singer sewing machine and we'd make bunting like it really was an incredible time where I just had ignorance of youth that I was like oh well I live in London this is amazing and the part-time job I had I was a matron in a boarding school and they said to me, the, the bursar sat me down and he said, he said, Alice, come now. He said, I know you're working part time because you have this life in London, but we all know that you're going to be a matron and you'll be great at it and just come full time. We all know that the London thing won't last and you'll need us. And I just remember smiling, not even being cross, just being like, no. Like I just knew. You must have been the coolest matron in the boarding school. <laughs> Sorry, can I just say that? I mean, yeah, yeah. I would like you to be my matron at boarding school. I got really good at reading stories. Yeah, I can imagine. I'd love to talk to you about when you first travelled with your craft. This was a couple of years ago now, but you decided you wanted to go to America and teach calligraphy. Could you share that story and how that all came about? Yes. It seems so far away now and like the craziest thing, but work was going really well. The classes were great. I'd had a big job come in, an unusually big job. And I just thought, right, if it's not going to be now, it's not going to be ever. 
I've got just enough money to go away for like a month, which is a long time to me. And so uh, at the same time, I was part of a network of calligraphers, modern calligraphers called the Modern Calligraphy Summit. At the time, we didn't really have a scene in the UK. This was, this was quite a few years ago. And it was still like dominated by America and Canada. So this group was just filled with thousands of women from America. So one day I posted up a few Instagram pictures of me and a little introduction saying who I was. I was a calligrapher from London and uh, I'd love to come to America. And would anyone have me in their studios? I'd do anything like packing, any boring work. I would just do it. I just wanted to be away and go and do something else. I remember sending it off and then like running and hiding and being like oh god like maybe the moderators are actually like take it down like maybe that's like one step too far and I got so many comments underneath being like this is amazing like uh, this is so great and I actually got I think three or four women saying yep you're coming this is it you're gonna come I didn't know who they were I stayed with two of them I then couldn't believe my luck so I kind of extended every week that I stayed with somebody I then did a week myself paying for accommodation and then go and stay with someone else I met someone that lived in New Orleans and he was like yeah come and stay as well so I just did this huge trip um, staying with strangers and it was amazing and they didn't want me to help in their studios they wanted me to teach them how to run workshops or teach Mm. them they were at the beginning of their kind of calligraphy um journey shall we say so I kind of helped where I could gosh what an adventure it was what an adventure Uh, what I love though is I was just thinking about how we run our own businesses and what you did there enhanced you as a person your business your outlook I'm sure your connections your you know we talk about networking yeah you know all these sorts of things I just like the idea of people thinking after that story what could I do for a month you know how could I go and take what I do every day and go and help other people teach it and transfer those skills great for content great for learning great for your soul I suppose and I just think it's so funny because a lot of time I talk about how even when we run our own businesses we confine ourselves to the nine to five we forget that we are our own bosses yeah yeah the the holiday can be signed off you know because it is us yeah I recently spoke to Ash Bishop a sign painter for this podcast and he was telling me about some of his favorite experiences where he traveled around America and Europe sign writing and teaching meeting wonderful communities Mm. and reviving this tradition that had been lost in part of Europe and I just think in these uncertain times where we can feel like we're cutting ourselves off slightly from the rest of the world it's such a lovely thing to hear that basically craft and artisan skills can bring people together Each week on Conversations of Inspiration, we're running a competition with our partner, NatWest, where if you are a small business or independent, you are in with a chance to win this very ad break coming up. A free advert to showcase your business to hundreds of thousands of listeners, thanks to NatWest's generosity. This week's winner on our ad break is Sylvina's Nature. Over to you. My name is Silvina. Two and a half years ago, I dreamed of launching a product that would be truly indulgent and healthy. Little did I know that the recipe would take me 18 months to develop, I would have to bake before and after my nine to five job, and I would even have to sleep with an oven in my bedroom. In August last year, I handed in my resignation and Silvina's nature became my life. After a lot of hard work and with a lot of support from my amazing mum, crowns finally emerged from my kitchen. Crowns are gluten-free, high in protein and fiber, and naturally low in calories, thanks to our reduced sugar recipe. But best of all, they are delicious. We have been busy developing, testing and tasting new flavors of crowns, but we still made time to launch a new delicious product called Mimbles. Mimbles are a gluten-free treat inspired by my love for Argentinian alfajores. Two soft biscuits sandwiched together with creamy caramel and rolling coconut. 
All our products are handmade in our kitchen in North London using all natural ingredients. To find out more, visit our website www.sylvinasnature.co.uk or follow our adventures on Instagram at sylvinasnature. Thank you to everyone who has supported our little business. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. When you were out in America, the marches against Trump were on. And I saw the most beautiful photos on your Instagram of your hand calligraphed creative, gentle protests. What was it like when you were out there being an activist in your work? Is this is this an important part now? It's really strange because when I remember when I my first bit of the trip was New York and I didn't have any I've always been kind of quietly political but ignorantly political. I just never really knew you know as as much as I needed to but so I went over you know I wasn't a fan of Trump but I I didn't go to get involved in anything in particular but I remember walking around the streets of New York and I just saw in someone's um, living room they just had party lettering and bunting that you just have for a children's party but it just said not my president and it was so powerful just those words and I didn't think much else of it, but as I was walking around everywhere I went, words were everywhere in protest. And as time went on, it literally took until I think I got to Portland, which was six weeks later, to realise, even after the march, I still hadn't realised that this was why I was on the trip, that this collection of language and the power of of words, like I think my, my favourite one was... Um, no justice, no peace, which is about the the pipelines in North Dakota. And I was kind of stewing away. I was starting to feel guilt that I had been on this trip and every day was so self-indulgent. You know, where shall I go? Where shall I have coffee? It was just uh, the repetitiveness of that. And I was really missing doing work, but could not work out what I was going to do. And I went into a a bar and I just saw this sign on the wall in silk. It was so old. It was an old, what looked to me like a church banner or like the trade union banners. And it just said universal toleration. And at the same time, I got an email from a gallery in London saying, we need an artist to put some work in the window for a month. And I just remember thinking, this is it. I've got all of this language that I have been collecting in my mind and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I replied straight back the next day, just went into a cafe with some pecan, massive slice of pecan pie, I remember, and put this proposal together to make these banners. And when I got back, they were going to be shown and it was just like this very perfect like arch that all worked out in the end. And when I looked up that phrase, universal toleration, it just led me down this incredible research kind of rabbit hole. That phrase is actually coined by the Independent Order of the Oddfellows, which are a fraternal society that started in the UK in the age of the Enlightenment. And so that kind of was that. I then was, you know, all these themes just appeared that just grabbed me. I was so interested in morality and uh, religion I'd stayed with a Mormon family for a week and they were so lovely to me they were the most generous kind family they let this strange London girl into their family home with their kids yet they were Republican and Trump supporting how I couldn't understand how that related to their 
very very strict moral day-to-day existence so there was all of this and yeah it just all fell into place it's interesting I spoke to Veronica Delio on this podcast and she found actually to have a strong point of view and using it within her work in turn rather than sort of alienating people it actually helped to grow a much stronger community in the future brands are going to have to have points of view we have to relate to brands now and it's not just about the logo and the shiny tv adverts you know we're not watching tv anymore you're going to have to dig deep and I think that's why we're seeing brands crumble but also I think what I'm so excited about over the next 20-30 years I'm going to see brands who actually take on a political view take on morals take on their values yeah build that as part of their brand and actually yeah you don't want to have everybody like you exactly you don't want to have millions of people on instagram actually your core following is forty thousand people you know rather have that committed loyal group of people people who are involved in your business do you feel the same is that something that yeah definitely now you're feeling more confident I think that for me came with age as well I still feel you know frightened when I am political now I do talk about it and I know I will lose followers over it but that's just who I am. And I think you do have to find your tribe. It doesn't matter if, you know, you can't please everybody. And that certainly happened with my calligraphy. I was just so in love with all this lettering that I now had the ability to create that I kind of lost the charm and quirk of what my work's always been about. So that as well, you know, I didn't, I for a while tried to totally conform to the kind of perfect wedding industry. And now I'm, I don't need that. I want I want brides that are really and grooms that are, you know, totally out there and just want to do whatever it is they want to do. Don't feel like they have to subscribe at all to any you know, any of that. Yeah. And by using your art to creatively protest is such a clever way of engaging society. And I think we're seeing a rise in it. I've loved watching Rebecca Strickson. Yes. Um, has been doing great designs. Rob yeah. Ryan, I love his beautiful paper cup um, posters yeah. on the latest March against Brexit. It makes campaigning a more peaceful and beautiful place and one where yeah. actually people feel that they can engage. They don't feel intimidated. But go back to your trip in America. I remember Jenna showing me all these velvet flags at the time. And you were working on this project at the time. We were working also on a project which was all within the suffragette movement. And we were looking at the work in the British Museum. And it was unbelievable. Even the tights were embroidered. And they would have flash protests and everything was embroidered by hand. And it was this attention to detail, the beauty. It was just incredible. And then I saw your modern day velvet flags and the wonderful phrases, universal toleration and the kindness and virtue. And I could just so see this this thread from our past women who had done something incredible but you've taken something and it would be amazing if you could talk about more what you learned on this independent order of the odd fellows that you were talking about you know is this something that will go through your brand do you think forever um I'm just really I don't know where it's going to lead me yet but I'm just fascinated in this this age of like societies and how normal it was at one point to be part of a group that would do good and now obviously there are there are thousands of grassroots charities and amazing um things happening all over the UK now but they're not uh, especially linked they're kind of all their separate things but in America at the end of the 19th century there were 5.5 million members of fraternal societies and they were at one point charitable societies that were invented to make society better one in five men would have been in one of those societies that just seems insane now they were non-political non-religious and if all of what we were doing was linked yeah I just can't imagine and now we have the actual technology to be linked but we're not I I don't know so we've got more ability to be linked than ever yeah yet we're 
so unlinked. Yeah, <laughs> it just it's, uh, it's, it, gosh, what a there really would have been, interesting yeah, five, point. Five point five million members, and there would have been seventy thousand like lodges. These like meeting points for for these meetings happen. It, yeah, nowadays I just can't imagine that we don't have well we don't go to church like we used to um we don't have these community spaces like we used to and so I'm really interested in how we are all choosing to find these communities these links for ourselves because I think most people desperately want that sense of community um and often don't know how to find that support I mean bringing together community for me was the the biggest motivation for starting Holly & Co, the co standing for community. Yeah. You know, we're living in a time, as you were saying, where so many people aren't religious. They don't have that sort of moral guidance. There's Sunday service where everyone used to get together to sing or be neighborly and kind to one another. Yeah. We have mm. Instagram, which can be amazing if you are part of a community, but it can often also have this big mental health effect as well we need to get more tangible and face-to-face experiences I remember going to a Sunday paper live and at the end of the service by the Sunday assembly founder Sanderson Jones there was such a high and at the end we we sang Bon Jovi with this messaging (laughs) about leading a better life help often live better and wander more But there was no mention of God. It wasn't religious. But, you know, people were hanging on it because they felt connected. And it's why I'm calling my uh, events congregations and going back to those sort of human fundamentals that we need community to rely on, to support each other. We need real energy, real interaction. We need values. We need morals. We need inspiring leaders. We need to empower. And, you know, maybe just a good sing song or a spiritual a spiritual permission. I don't know why it kind of makes us giggle, that notion of the sing-song, but I think that's why festivals are such a big thing now because the act of getting together and singing is and this like church-like moment and dancing, communally dancing together. That should not be undervalued. I think we all as humans need that. The um, world is craving these experiences or hand-drawn objects or art or tangible objects. And it is going up against or using digital to power these events. But it isn't the digital that is the event. Yeah. Have you found this in your business and and are you championing that definitely I don't know how not to champion that it's like accidental I just I still can't believe that some of the brands I work with I'm doing my kind of wonky writing on you know Hermes is doing their invites to a very prestigious fashion party for three weeks and just the thought that all of these people you know writing Tracy Emin's name out and and they're getting this like totally wonky little bit of scripts by old Alice it's just I love that I just think that's so cool that people want something unusual wow that's that's pretty cool (laughs) is that cool when you're doing that yeah I was doing I was just like just gonna get a photo they don't notice (laughs) (laughs) oh tell me I want to ask you more about the practical side of the business now and as there'll be a lot of people listening in this podcast that are inspired by you dreaming of maybe running their own calligraphy business or lettering business or graphic design business do you have any advice for anyone wanting to go into this industry oh my god so much advice um I think I would definitely educate myself more on money I am so lucky and I always had that kind of back of my brain that my I could always go home to my parents if everything went wrong I had that little safety net I just assumed that I was this kind of wild free creative doing creative things and didn't need to think about money but if I thought about that earlier, I think I would have been able to have gone freelance earlier. It took seven years, I think, which a lot of people I don't think realise. So it's been three years now that I've been completely self-employed and everything sped up so quick. And I think I learned to value my time like the women I was working with at the school. 
a lot of them had young children and they just knew how valuable their time was if they mm-hmm. you know every minute that they were at work was minutes that they weren't with their children and I just learned to value my time in the same way as that. It doesn't matter that I don't have kids. My time is still really valuable. And so I, you know, learned to charge accordingly, not just work all hours of the day. It's very difficult when you love what you do. And you're just so grateful to be working and have the work that you just forget that you have to, like, it's very unsexy, but I have to work out how to get a pension and all of these things people are starting to buy houses now and I don't have one and that's not an issue right now but it would have been good to have got on board with that a bit earlier I I think think. it's it's such a big point that a lot of people find very very hard when they start up their businesses how do I value time I know what something costs to buy maybe and I know how much my rent is and I know how much this studio is and I know all these sort of things but how much am I yeah, yeah. how much am I and I think one of the things that I definitely talk to people about doing is saying well you know Today, you're not going to be on a fat cat salary, you know, so don't start your business thinking, you know, what I'd love to do is earn £100,000, you know, from day one. It's like, (laughs) it's it's the wrong thing to do. But what you can say is I want to earn £100,000 within my career. Okay, so where do I need to start? It's like, it's that wonderful life moment, you know, come on, what do you really need? What do you really need to survive? And then taking that amount dividing it up in your hours that you want to work yeah and what does that what does that hourly rate come out as yeah you'll have a gut instinct about that is it crazy is it actually less than what you know someone earns you know on a zero hour wage you've got to be able to sort of pinpoint it and then say right that's year one so what's year two what's year three and if you can just do that little journey in terms of timeline of the salary that you'd like to make yeah you can start to work out then what your hourly rate has to be and thus actually what you need to be delivering for that hourly rate. If you're suddenly hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds, which is also what a lawyer might charge, what are you going to be delivering for that rate? Or is it just £10 an hour for the rest of your life? Well, you're not going to be able to build to what you've said, you know, your own milestone moments, your your goals in your own life. But it's a very, very difficult thing and so many people I talk to unfortunately are still 10 years in and they're still earning less than you know if they went and got a a job in a restaurant you know uh, per hour it's something that you've really got to work on because otherwise you can spend yes having a wonderful career in those 10 years but did you get to those points you wanted to in your life yeah and I, I just think that also we're so frightened of talking about money. It has yeah. so much shame. I know it did for me as well. Those years when I kind of just stumbled through doing the Broadway market and it was all very lush. Um, but uh, yeah, I was so worried about checking my bank balance. I didn't know how much I earned. I couldn't tell you any figures. And if you'd looked at me and said, what do you want to earn? I would have just been filled with fear and gone, well, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I just wouldn't have been able to answer that question at all. Whereas now I've taken some steps. I've just, and now I feel totally in control of it. What are those steps you've taken? So I started with getting an accounting program online. Yeah. And it's interesting because I had it for years. It kind of tracks all your bank things and you log things as business and things as personal and automatically work out how much tax you need to pay all of these things it's great but for years when I had it I couldn't even look at that it was like this thing you know I was always that person that did their tax return three days before and was like lolling about it on Instagram just it was all a big joke and it was all funny and everything was fine eventually but I got tired tired of not knowing what the hell I was doing so I just made this decision that was so harmful for so many years to me and so now I just kind of every day just check in it's not something I did for many years but now I do have an accountant it's just a set fee for my self-assessment it's not like a monthly fee um so it's very 
relatively small for my little business but again for years when I did do my bookkeeping on this software I was making loads of mistakes I didn't know what the hell I was doing I didn't know what expense went in what category I was just making it up and being like I'm an honest person this this must be okay so now that's all changed and um, I really highly recommend it from the other side It's so great to hear you talk about it. I think it's a little bit like when we want to go on a diet or we think we're ill or we want, you know, we bury our heads in the, in the sand. Big time. And actually the thing about what you're talking about is getting that control, looking at it daily, knowing you're okay. The decisions you might make then for your business will be different yeah. if you continuously fear that any moment now you're going under. Yeah. Any mo- yeah. um, and similarly, if you think that there is so much money in that account yeah. that actually you could turn down some things yeah. because you know what, yeah. you know, you're an artist and you will only be doing those top brow things. So having that control is so empowering. Yeah, complete. That, that is, it has been empowering. And the irony is that the whole time that I was like, oh, you know, um, I'm an artist, can't think about money. It's not good for my creativity. What was bad for my creativity was constantly living in this very back of the brain fear. That's bad for creativity. So it's easy for me to see now because I'm I'm well behaved about it now. That's it's empowering. Better. I think also what I love about you, Alice, is that you're a living, breathing beautiful brand yourself (laughs) and whenever I see you you're in these amazing clothes with your hair beautifully wrapped up in this 40s style and you just look so bloody cool I think it's so important though that you know when you're creative that you do stand out and you do get remembered I talk a lot to my son you know in the how you present yourself as your your brand is a really important thing and just wear what makes you glow. Yeah. Wear what's, what's, what makes you creative. And I remember ditching my own heels, ditch the suit for the caftan that looked like I'd lost my beach and would walk up <laughs> the road and meet people with my glitter trainers on and my caftan and would start talking about business and, and felt so empowered because I was, I was me. I was fully, fully me. Do you feel this in the sort of this world that we live in on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, but almost like not saying it in a negative way, actually saying it in a positive way that we we have so much more that we can use in ourselves as our brand? Yeah, I always say, why be dull? I've never been able to conform uniform wise. I've just, I, I hear the term uniform and I just can't help but do the opposite. I'm terrible dressing for weddings. I'm that guest that's wearing something totally inappropriate, but I just can't help it. I just, um, I don't know why. I'm such an attention seeker when it comes to clothes. I want to be outrageous. And definitely that honed Broadway market, trendiest market in London, all these kind of, you know, East London, London fields, um, fashion kids walking up and down. And I just loved standing there with all my kind of vintage furniture holding up all my stationery that was based on 1940s telegrams and I was the brand that was and I would just kind of laze around chatting to the stallholders waiting for the street style photographers to come and I would always be photographed and I loved it we just did a podcast with Keith from Mabel and Cole and we were just talking about the clever things that they did the wonky vegetables that basically became part of his brand but he only had he got them because they were the cheaper vegetables to buy and were helping the farmers because none of the supermarkets wanted it or the rainwater that they would clean the vans out but actually it's because they had a broken gutter and actually the water was coming down and I use that just I I, it's not the same but it's this thing of we all do things every day we are who we are we dress how we dress we have a wonky vegetable we have an amazing stylish founder of a business using all of these little parts that we have available to help our brand, it's for free. You have to. It's for free and it's clever. No one else can do it. There's so many other businesses out there now. There's so many other calligraphers. So I just have to completely embrace what makes me different from them. And I'm more than happy to do so. How much fun is that? My favourite thing to ask artists is who inspires them? Do you have like favourite signage or lettering that you go to? Or Yeah, I know it's really obvious choice, but I do, I've always loved Bob and Roberta Smith. 
they do or he does a big lettered signs love all of those so I think that's that's a big inspiration and the future for you your dreams what you want to achieve in business oh um I really want to I want to have a lovely studio uh, in East London where that's like a a a little bit like what you've got like you've got this community I, I would love to have eventually somewhere you come and we run letter writing clubs and they exist already in London but I'd love to do one that was a little bit more community minded um, engaging engaging people and writing letters to their MPs uh, trying to move forward for positive change and just making that like fun and normal and I think that seems like to definitely my circle that seems quite radical and that really shouldn't that should just be part of how we as citizens take control of our say of how we think things should be I love that idea I love that idea When we come to the end of this podcast, I always ask my guest about running their business and this wonderful roller coaster. Can you tell me about what you think maybe some of your lowest moments have been or a low moment that stands out? Low, I'm really lucky in that I haven't had like catastrophic lows, but I definitely remember a time when I just didn't know what I was doing. Like I, I didn't have, like the minute I feel like, I've got all of these avenues that I could go down. There's so many things that I want to do. And there was just a time when that just didn't exist. And I was working all the time and, you know, money was not growing. And uh, I remember going and seeing a talk by Leona from Thriftola. She runs a subscription box and she just gave this really, really inspiring talk. And I remember it just kind of, bucked me up and I kind of cracked on looked after myself a bit more thought embraced kind of all the madness and just thought no that I I can do it it's going to be fine um mm. so yeah that, that was and a high moment for you oh my god the high there's so many high moments I'm one of those people that people say oh you know we never recognize all of our achievements and I'm like no I recognize all of the achievements <laughs> I just am so excited all the time uh, all sorts I get to fly to Europe sometimes sat in department stores for Ted Baker or recently having to fly back a day early to go and work at Hermes it was just it's all really really exciting and I get so many opportunities I went to see a play on Monday night called Amelia fantastic feminist play on this massive Broadway stage all because I'm going to possibly do some lettering for them there's I just get I'm so lucky, so many interesting opportunities. Oh, I'm so glad that you you celebrate and you're living your milestone moments all the time because, you know, as long as you're going to be doing this, there isn't this end point. These yeah. are the end points. These yeah. every, so you are doing exactly what we should all do. It's hard to do it sometimes, but just to grab and smell those roses when it's going along this journey because these are the destinations. This, yeah. is, this is it. You know, you don't know where your journey is going to go. So right now, grab hold of these moments and celebrate them. Absolutely. So good to hear that you do do that. <laughs> and something else that I ask is, who would you recommend maybe that I interview on this podcast? Someone that in business maybe that has inspired you? I would really love to hear Mark Constantine, who owns Lush, I used to work for them many Good years recommendation. ago. Did you? You used yeah, to work for him? Yeah, and I'm absolutely fascinated how you can run a business and have the, these roots in pretty uh, radical activism at the same time and how that works. I couldn't agree more. I'm going to be getting on the phone after this podcast. <laughs> I feel very lucky that you came into our world through Jenna and through Lottie, who's our general manager now at Holly & Co. You know her as well. And I feel very inspired by you. I know there's a lot of girl crushes that are going on at Holly & Co. (laughs) and myself. I'm the cheerleader of the girl crush that we have. So thank you for being such a wonderfully creative feminist activist skillful jumpsuit wearing creative (laughs) and I just hope we get to work together lots more in the future you're a very very special woman Alice oh thank you Holly very very (laughs) special but for now it's the time where I hand over to my guest and ask if they would 
do mean the privilege of reading out their letter that they've prepared to their younger self. Okay, I'm ready. Right. An ode to Alice. Disclaimer to the listener that I have led an extremely privileged life and that has a very happy ending. Dear Alice, you are eight and the quietest of observers. I'd like to tell you that your silence is through innate wisdom and choice, but it's because you feel so cripplingly and achingly shy all the time. You are very happy not being noticed, but despite this, you have a quiet confidence in yourself, but are often trapped in your own silence. You can't cope with any change, even not knowing what would be for lunch was a source of daily upset. It was incredibly inconvenient, but you just couldn't stop worrying about it all. You are filled with a weight that you will one day learn is called anxiety, but you don't know what that is yet. And I am very happy to tell you that for you, you are lucky and it will go away. You spend your time drawing and reading and reading and drawing, quietly confident that you are going to do some cool shit when you grow up and God damn it, you were right. On holiday, your brother has accidentally smacked you in the face with a croquet mallet, using it like a baseball bat and it has knocked your front tooth out. The dentist wired it back into your jaw, but as you grow bigger, it will remain the same size, disappearing sadly up into your gums so that it looks like you only have half a front tooth. You are 13 now and at a new all-girls school. Your confidence is growing and where your missing front tooth and unfortunate monobrow will hold you back momentarily. You are patient and find that a sense of humour eventually works all the same at making friends. You were never quite the same as anyone else, but you didn't really mind. Your parents never fitted in with a social elite, and while that seems disappointing right now, you are learning to embrace it, and your creativity buys you a charming novelty status that will carry you far. The tooth gradually does look worse, though, and you now need braces. The monobrow grows strong, and the thought that other people will notice these things when they look at you is so difficult to accept that you will start to hide your face. You occasionally dream of even being involved in accidents so that these things will have to be fixed by professionals. You have learned to cover your mouth, not make eye contact, not to smile open-mouthed. Teenage angst is here in full force. Alas, at 13, you also decide that you want to have your own money because you know it will give you the independence that you crave so much. So you get a job. Every Saturday you work in Winchester's most splendid sandwich bar to ensure that you can get the finest low-cut jeans that money will buy. You are told off by the boss every single time you try to hide your face using your hand, which is about 100 times a day, and eventually you have to learn to stop it. And in a strange stroke of fate, this teaches you to learn to look people in the eye again, to smile and to face a reluctant acceptance, but acceptance nonetheless that this is the way you are and to let go of hating it. As the years go on, the deep angst and fear of change starts to disappear. The heavy weight of not being able to speak is easing and a lot of days are actually filled with laughter. You spend your weekdays in the art department and every Saturday you work and every different job teaches you new skills and your co-workers teach you a new perspective. Nothing was above you and you will learn valuable life lessons from each one, including pouring a pint of Guinness with a shamrock in the froth, thanks to Weatherspoons, and a very impressive first aid knowledge when you were a matron at a prep school. You are 17 now, and for some inexplicable reason, the adults and dentists finally deem the state of your teeth worth fixing. You receive a shiny new full-sized front tooth after 10 years, and life is wonderful. You decide that you are content and grateful and you will never feel those thoughts about yourself ever again and you pretty much don't. No anxiety in my adult life has ever matched that of my childhood and I am so grateful it's gone. My letter is to tell you that everything seems hard now but it gets so good. But you really knew that all along deep down. 
You've never subscribed to quarter-life crises or five-year plans or when you should be married or even if you care at all for getting married. And all of this has cultivated an adult mindset of officially giving zero fucks even before Instagram informed you of that phrase. Jumpsuits made of cat faces are worn to your favourite meetings and you make work that brings you joy and hopefully brings other people joy. P.S. The unbelievable news is that despite your now excellent home waxing skills, big eyebrows are bloody celebrated. Oh, (laughs) applause, applause, (laughs) applause. I feel like I was just in a book, a Judy Bloom book or something (laughs) like that. I feel like I have just gone on this journey of knowing the younger you, monobrow and all. (laughs) Goofy tooth and all, and I sit in front of this very beautiful, strong woman, and I've got tears in my eyes because you've got it all. You've got the whole package, and you are embracing this life with your cat jumpsuit, (laughs) and I am proud to know you, and you would have inspired so many people. Thank you, Alice. Thank thank you you so much for having me. Oh, big big deal. Thanks, NatWest, again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub. It's full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come